Amen. So it's the first Sunday of Advent. And you already saw the, the outline of what we're going to cover. I'm going to preach to you from one verse this morning. Some of you think that probably means it's going to be the longest sermon of the year, right? I'm going to use as our starting place the first verse of Paul's first letter to Timothy where Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Christ Jesus, our hope. Will you pray with me? Again, Lord, we have gathered in your name to proclaim your glory, to adore you. And now as we consider what it means that you are our hope, will you convict us, change us, and draw our minds to the hope that we have because the Savior has been born. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So it's been said that hope springs eternal. You might know where that's from. Nobody? It comes from a poem written by Alexander Pope in the 18th century. It's a long poem. And in the middle of that poem is this statement, hope springs eternal in the human breast. And then he goes on for page after page. It's a, it's a very long poem. But that, that phrase stuck into the English language as sort of a proverb, and it comes to us today, hope springs eternal. And what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, there are some of us who are very optimistic, uh, who are continually looking for things to get better. Might not be great now, but, you know, it's going to turn around here pretty soon. If you're a sports fan, you know exactly how this works. For example, the Denver Broncos, really awful this year. But just yesterday, I saw an article. Drew Locke is going to start today. He's the rookie we drafted last year, and things are going to be good because we're going to get a few more games with him to finally start. And you know what that means for next year? It means we have basically a rookie quarterback. (laughs) But... People are already excited because you know, next year is not that far away, and no doubt the season will be better. We tend to do the same kind of thing as we approach the new year, right? In December is a time for us to look back over 2019 and uh, examine how things have gone, and some things were okay, and some things were not so great, but 2020, you know, New Year's Day, it's a... It's a time for a clean break, a clean start. We'll we'll make our resolutions, we'll make our new plans, and we just have this mindset, typically, that next year's going to be better. Uh, We've learned some things. Uh, Or maybe if it was really bad this year, we think, I'm glad that year's over, but next year's going to be better. It's just, that's how we think. As a nation, there's a lot of reason for optimism. I mean, this is the best economy possibly in the history of mankind. Things are booming. 
The jobless rate is way down. Uh, we don't have any major threats with any other nations. Things, to be, th things seem to be pretty calm. And, uh, and we've, we've overcome ISIS, for instance. And you go into 2020 as an American, and you think, oh, things are looking up. 2020 could be a great year. There's reason for hope, reason for, for optimism. Now, there's some people on the other end of this, aren't there? There are some people that just have sort of the Eeyore complex, right? Uh, no matter how bad 2019 was, 2020 will probably be worse. The economy will probably tank. Everything will probably fall into the pits next year because that's just how things are. And we tend to have one or the other. Hope is a word that means an expectation of something good. Not a mere wish, not a, not a false hope or a, a foundless hope, but a certain expectation of something that is good that has been promised us. Paul says to Timothy, Christ is our hope. As Americans, as individuals though, it is very easy to get our eyes off of Christ and onto our circumstances. And so our happiness and our hope flows out of whether or not things are going our way. And when things are going great, when we get the new job, when our family is all that we need it to be, when, when good things happen, then we're hopeful, we're happy, we're excited. And then th when things turn against us, it's very easy to become discouraged and down and lose hope because our focus is so much on the here and now, on the temporal things. If you're the kind of person who looks at life optimistically, who, who looks at life hopeful because things are going well, or if you're the kind of person that everything is down and you're, you, you carry, you know, you get a t-shirt, I'm Debbie Downer. Even if you're a man, I'm Debbie Downer. That's, that's what I am. I always bring everything down. The goal is to get your eyes off of temporal life. There's a book in the Bible that jumps in to either category and, and brings reality crashing down on our heads. It's actually one of my favorite books in the Bible, strange as that may seem, but it's the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, one of these days, we're going to preach through Ecclesiastes. It, it is, in my opinion, it is America's book. America needs to read Ecclesiastes, and the American church needs to understand what this book is about. I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole thing today, as tempting as that would be, but I want to just look at a, a few verses where the writer, which I think is Solomon, many people don't think it's Solomon, but for our purposes today, it doesn't really matter, but I'm going to pretend like it's Solomon as we go. Solomon writes this. He says, when I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. All right, I need to pause here for a second. I'm distracted, and I just realized why I'm distracted. Are these lights supposed to be on up here? No? It seems darker up here. Uh, that's distracting me. 
No? Shake your head. Am I, am I crazy? Yes, I'm crazy. Okay. Well, I'm distracted. It seems dark up here. Okay. I can't see my Bible. I'm going to read that again. Verse. What? Now I'm even more distracted. Because somebody's making jokes about me, but didn't say it loud enough where I could hear them. Let me read that again. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. This whole book has been Solomon setting out to understand everything that happens on the earth and to see if there's any value, any benefit. And he describes here that, he, that people are doing things on the earth even if they don't sleep. This, this burning the candle at both ends, this, uh, the crazy busyness that seems to pervade our culture, that is not unique to 21st century America. Solomon says, I went out and I looked and I saw people working day and night nonstop. They weren't stopping to rest. They weren't stopping to sleep. They are on the move constantly. And I examined them. I, I, I observed. I looked. And here's the conclusion. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody really gets it. Think about how many people in our life today present themselves as the experts on how to get ahead. Right? There are people, there are whole industries, it's called life coaching, where if you'll send them money every month, they would love to get on the phone with you, maybe do a conference call, maybe Skype in or something, and give you some techniques, some things to do where you can get ahead, where you can move down the path, where you can start here but get there. 2020 can be your best year yet. And there's all these techniques. You know, you, you need to get up at the same time every day and go to sleep at the same time every night. And you need to get up at, at 6 o'clock and you need to meditate for a while and you need to read these books and go through this process. And if you will do that, then 2020 will be the best year of your life. Or if you'll just come to my seminar, <laughs> you'll spend $700 and come listen to me lecture to you for three or four hours or maybe a full day, then 2020 can be your best year yet. Or if you watch Oprah, I don't know, she's still on the television, uh, or any of the Oprah-like people, the sages of our day who they've got life figured out and they would love to help you understand the world better and get along better in this world. And once they're gone, there'll be another one. Or once you try this guru and that doesn't get you anywhere, here's another guru who has a, a, a more creative way to package it. And so you come and you buy their stuff and you, and you listen to them. And people spend billions of dollars every year on this kind of thing. Why? Because we're so desperate to find that one person who will finally unlock the key to a better future. Americans just swallow this stuff whole. And Solomon says, I searched with wisdom 
everything done under the sun. He says, even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. He can't do it. He goes on. For I have taken all this to my heart and explained that the righteous man, wise man, the deeds, their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred, anything awaits him. What Solomon is saying is, wise men, righteous men, good men, all these people think they know the future. The end of the day, God does what God's going to do, and you have no idea whether he's going to bring pleasant things or hard things into your life. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know what January's going to bring. You have no idea what 2020 is going to be like. And neither does anybody else. You cannot create your own future. You know, love or hate our current president, his, he is a man who is very, very optimistic. His whole presentation is, I got this, and I will find a way. Do you know where he got that? His pastor... Some of you right there just froze up. Wait, what? He had a pastor? His pastor was Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale wrote the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And there was a whole generation of people who were taught by this quote-unquote pastor that you have the ability in your mind to determine your future. If you think positive thoughts, if you retrain the voices in your head so that you only listen to good voices, you can create your future and you can do anything you want to do. And he's lived by that mantra and he's achieved a, some massively successful things in his life. Just the hope, the hope, the hope, the hope. Well, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, comes along and says, yeah, it's not going to work because God's the only one that knows what's coming. And nobody knows whether he's going to bring love or hatred. But it's, it's deeper than that, he says. No matter how well 2020 goes for you or how poorly 2020 goes for you, we are all going to end up in the same place. He says, it is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man, so is the sinner. As the swearer, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. This is why nobody else likes Ecclesiastes. I love this book. I mean, he's, he's, he's real. He's not trying to put an optimistic spin on life. Solomon looks out at the world, all that's done under the sun, he says, yeah, you can have all these things, 
you can do all these things, guess what? You're going to the same end as the poor man, as the unwise man, as the loser. We're all going to die. That's where every path ends up. Now, he does say there's a little bit of hope. He says, whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. <laughs> and then he says, surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. That's, that's the good part. It's better to be alive than dead. I mean, a, a lion, the king of the jungle, as majestic as the lion is, if it's a dead lion, well, he's dead. would rather be a live dog and, and don't think cute, you know, Fido puppy. Uh, dogs in that day were mangy, dirty, beastly animals, uh, wolf, coyote kind of thing. He says, rather to be a live dog than a dead lion. Why? For the living know they will die, but the dead don't know anything. <laughs> Nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the earth. Better to be a live dog than a dead, dead lion, because the living at least know they're going to die. The dead don't know anything, and everything they've ever accomplished is just in the grave with them. This is a sermon on hope. He says, go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. What do you mean by that, Solomon? Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Just enjoy, make the best of it, because there is nothing to enjoy. There's no productivity. There's no optimism. There's no, hey, next year's going to be better than last year, when you're dead. That's a sobering thought. One of the reasons I call this America's book is because a large percentage of America agrees with Solomon that we're all going to the grave and that's the end of the story. So the best thing you can do is enjoy life to the fullest now because you're going to die. That's it. So go get as much money, as much pleasure, as much uh, prosperity as you possibly can, no matter what it does to anybody else. Run right over them. Climb up that corporate ladder, crush everyone below you. Whatever it takes, enjoy life because this is it. Whatever your hand finds to do, go do it with all your might because you're going to die soon and there's nothing after that. That's the nihilism that undergirds American philosophy. But it's not unique to us. And it's into a reality such as that, that an angel showed up to a young virgin girl and said, you are with child, and that child is going to be 
the Savior of his people. And that child is going to live forever on the throne of his father, David. And that child is conceived by God himself. He is the Son of the Most High. That changes everything. Christ is our hope. If Jesus is not who he claimed to be, and if he had not come and joined us in the human race, then everything Solomon said is the only rational conclusion. Life is not but just a, a fleeting moment, and then it's over, and that's it. But God loved us enough to come to this earth as a human being to give us hope. There is something beyond the grave. That baby is proof positive there is something beyond the grave. It doesn't matter ultimately what happens in 2020 or what happened in 2019 compared to what it's gonna be like for all eternity with Jesus. That baby, Jesus, grew up to be a man and he lived a perfect, obedient life. And then he went to the cross to suffer on our behalf. Chris and I had dinner the other night with uh, a young couple who, they are clean slates. They know, they know virtually nothing about the scripture. And they're eager to learn. They're, they haven't put their faith in Jesus yet, but they want to, I think, completely clean slates. Like, Adam and Eve, who's that? And they said, teach us. So I said, okay, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and then he made a man called Adam and a woman called Eve. And about this time, this panic spreads over my wife's face. He's going to go through the entire Old Testament. <laughs> We're going to be here forever. And they're going to get lost in all of this. I didn't. I told them about Adam and Eve. And I said, God created this wonderful garden for them to live in. And they had interaction and fellowship and communion. And they were, it was just, it was perfect in every sense of the word. And God gave them one rule. Don't eat from that tree. You can eat all the other fruits in the garden. Just that one, don't eat it. And then the enemy, this, this, this being, this, this demonic being that we call Satan, took on the form of a, of a snake, and their eyes got big, like, what? Yeah, I said, just go with me. Just, you know, we'll, we'll answer those questions later. This enemy comes up to Eve and says, God's a liar. You can't trust God. And I'm telling you, you won't die if you eat of that tree, but you'll actually be like God. And so Eve took the fruit that God said, don't eat of it or you'll die. She took it and she ate. And the woman sitting at the table, her eyes got real big. 
coach. See, she understood intuitively. If God said, the day you eat of that tree, you will die, and Eve reaches right out and takes it, she went, oh. I said, yeah, this is bad news. And then she gave it to her lame husband standing right there the whole time, who could have stopped this whole thing, and he ate. And now they've both disobeyed God. And so I said, I already told you the part of the story. What are the consequences if they eat of that tree? And she said, they're going to die. I said, yeah. When? She said, on that day. I said, yeah, that's what God said. Then I walked through the curses. And I said, here's one of the curses that God gave to the snake. I said, you're going to have offspring and the woman's going to have offspring. And I said to the, the gal sitting here, I said, now, did, what was the curse? What was the, what was the punishment, rather? And she said, they're going to die. When? On that day. I said, what was the curse on the snake? The offspring of the woman and the offspring of the snake. I said, okay, are you following me? What was the punishment to the woman? You're going to die on that day. What did he say to the snake? The woman's going to have offspring. I said, is there anything that strikes you as not quite right there? And she said, yeah, if she's going to die, how is she going to have children? I said, exactly. Right there in that moment, God showed her mercy. I said, now, as the story goes on, they had covered themselves. They were naked, but they covered themselves with leaves. But then God said, no, that's not good enough. And he covered them with skins, animal skins. And I said, um, this is really going to be a hard question, but where do you get animal skins? And the guy said, oh, I know that one. Animals. I said, yeah, you get animal skins from animals. I said, do you understand that somebody did die that day? It wasn't the man and the woman. It was that animal. God killed the animal, took the skins from that animal, and covered Adam and Eve so they wouldn't die that day. Somebody died, just not the humans. And then I leapfrogged the entire rest of the Old Testament to Jesus. And he said, Jesus shows up. And he says, animals can't save you from God's judgment. But I can. And I have come to be a human being. And I'm going to do what the first man couldn't do. And I'm going to do what no man since then has done. I'm going to obey God with perfection. Never a single time disobey. Not a single sin. And then I'm going to die even though I haven't sinned. And anyone who will believe in me, I will take all of their sin upon myself and I'll give them my perfect life of obedience and you can be right with God. And I took your punishment. And this couple, they got it. They understood for the first time what Jesus came to do 
for us. Now, I would love to tell you they right then and they repented of their sin and called out upon his name for forgiveness. They didn't, but they are wrestling. I said, there's a lot more to the story in the Bible, but let me just ask you about your personal experience. Have you ever felt guilty? Like, do you have a, a, a sense of your conscience and you know you've done wrong things? Oh, yeah. And they just started rattling off sins, like boom, 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 boom. I hadn't talked about sin. I hadn't listed sins. We hadn't discussed any of that except for Adam and Eve disobeying. That's, that's the only sin I talked about. And man, they just started firing off sins. No problem. I said, you already know in your own heart you're guilty before God, don't you? Yep. So what I'm telling you is the only way for you to no longer be guilty. The message I'm giving to you is the one that can remove that sense of shame. The only thing that can remove that sense of shame. All of that being transferred to Jesus. And he takes it all and you right before God. They understood exactly what I'm saying. And they said, we want to hear more. Can we meet again? Will you tell us more? We said, oh, I don't know. We'll see if we can get around to it. No, no, I didn't say that. Absolutely. When can we get together again? Let's talk. They're this close to having hope beyond the grave in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian here today, you aren't this close, you have hope. It doesn't matter what happens in 2020. It could be the worst year of your life. But you have hope because Christ is our hope. So let me make you a little bit uncomfortable, shall we? Please, sir, may I have another? Look back over the past year or so. Think back to 2019. Think back to November. Have you been discouraged? Have you been hopeless? Have you been down? Why is that? What is it that causes Christians to be down? I'm not talking about genuine grief. Grief, of course, is not a sin. It is the only right response when real tragedy strikes. We are to mourn things like death. And we don't just blow that off and say, oh, no big deal. Even for Christians, we don't just say, oh, good, they got to go be, be with Jesus. Everything's wonderful. There's also a sense of that death is the enemy, the last enemy, and there's a sorrow when someone dies. But that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about genuine grief. I'm talking about hopelessness, discouragement, frustration. What is it that causes that in Christians? Again, I think 
Solomon reveals that to us. Here's what he says in, in one of the Proverbs. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. The first line there is, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Has your heart been sick in 2019? Have you been down and depressed and discouraged? Hopeless? Solomon says, that happens when our hope is deferred, when it's dragged on and on and on or snatched away altogether. Here's what we Christians do too often. We place our hope in circumstances of this life. Isn't that what happens when we get down? We have expectations and desires and we don't get what we want. Our hope is dragged on or taken away altogether and now our heart is sick. But our hope is Christ, and it is a present reality. So there's no place for Christians to be hopeless. When we become hopeless, it's because we have stopped focusing on Christ, and we're focusing on our circumstances, what we want more than on Christ. And we feel crushed. And that hope is deferred and our heart is sick. Again, look back at this past year. What is it that's been discouraging to you and frustrating to you and depressing to you? I'm sure you can draw a line to something in this life. You didn't get what you wanted. What's the cure? Put your hope in Christ. Because that is not deferred hope. That is current hope. It is real. Jesus was born in a manger. He did die on the cross. He did rise again. He did ascend to the right hand of the Father. And right now, he reigns and rules over this earth. And he is coming back to take us home to the place he's been preparing for us. And if we have our eyes focused on that truth, then there is nothing in this life that can dash our hopes. Because that is real. We have to guard against being like the, the Americans and the Ecclesiastians. Yes, I made up a word. Our life is not about what happens the way we like it and the way things that happen the way we don't like it. That's not where our hope is. 2020 had better be a great year for you. It needs to be a year full of joy and hope if you're a Christian because Christ is our hope and he is real and it's true. I told this couple, I said, everything I'm going to share with you when we meet, I'm convinced is true historical reality. I'm not going to ask you to take a blind leap in the dark 
Because that's what their impression of faith was. Just, I'm just supposed to take it on faith, right? Just believe. Yes, believe, but believe that it's true. Because if you use this as just an emotional crutch, then eventually you'll, you, you won't feel so good about it and you'll look for a different tr- uh, crutch. But it's true. And if it's true, then everything is different. The grave is not the end. It's the doorway into eternal life with Christ because Christ is our hope. So let me ask you again. When you're down, when you're discouraged, when you're hopeless, do you know why that is? And do you know the cure? We must show the world something different than placing our hope in circumstances. We must show them what it means to have hope in that baby who grew up to be a man who died for our sins and who rose as the king of the universe. Let that hope be what motivates us to celebrate this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord, as we sing this next song, we're going to sing a great song. The melody, the words, it's all about joy and who Jesus is. And we sing it at Christmas time, but it's not really a Christmas song. It's a, it's a second coming song as we declare together that you rule the earth, that you have come and your atoning work reaches as far as the curse is found. The curse that we deserve because of our sin. Lord Jesus, fill this place with your spirit. And may we take our eyes off of our circumstances. Not that we ignore them, but that our hope is not bound up in all that we can see now, but our hope is bound up on the truth of the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, would you enable us by your spirit as we go through this Christmas season to have true hope, real hope, everlasting hope because Jesus is born and he is risen. Amen.